Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. We're always reluctant to walk right out because we never know when the Holy Spirit's going to move Blake to go one more verse, and then we're in the band. Nobody wants that, right? We are marked by our parents. Amy sent me this. It demonstrates the power of genetics. Canadian photographer named Ulrich Collette uh, took various pictures of family members and took one side of one person, the other side of another person, stitched them together, and created a series he called Genetic Portraits. Take a look at this. The first is a grandmother and granddaughter. She's 61. The granddaughter's 12. Stunning. Here's a daughter and father, 10 and 32 years old. Here's a daughter and mother, 35 and 64. Is that amazing? Uh, Here's a father and son, 52 and 28. Here's a mother and daughter, 57 and 32. It's crazy how similar they look. Here's a mother and daughter, 61 and 32. Here are a pair of sisters, eight years apart. They look like the same person, 31 and 39. Here's even closer, sisters, six years apart, 24 and 30. Looks like the same person. It's kind of creepy. Here's a son and father who's seven and 29. And I thought it would be fun to see what this looked like in our house. Here's a mother that's 58 and a son that's 34. (laughs) So here's the lesson for you guys. You'd better be more complimentary of your parents because someday you're going to look just like them. (laughs) I know it's terrifying, isn't it? You're going to grow up and be just like them. Um, But we all leave marks on our children. And, you know, that's true not only for the moms, it's true for the dads. Um, The mark is genetic, obviously. Uh, The mark can also be emotional. Sometimes the mark should be spiritual. Um, And let me say, nobody leaves a more indelible impression than mothers. And we always talk about this on Mother's Day. It's always we gush over moms and how wonderful moms are. And on Father's Day, we sort of drill down and hammer down on the dads. Dads, you need to be this and you need to be that. But you know, the truth is not all moms are great. And you might not have gotten a great one uh, because all mothers leave a mark. The mark might be a scar or the mark might be a star, but you were marked by your mom. And so the, the, the thing I want us to deal with this morning is what kind of impression are you going to leave? You're going to leave an impression. We talk about this all the time in parenting, that the values that we instill in our children are more caught than taught. And that's not only true of the mothers, it's also true of the fathers, and it's really true of every relationship in our life. Every relationship that we're in, we're marking people and those people are marking us. And so if that's true, then what kind of mark do you want to leave? If you're going to leave a mark, if you're going to leave an impression Let's leave the impression that Jesus would have us leave. The impressions we leave must be the marks of Jesus. And I want to talk about three marks that Jesus would have every mother to leave on her children. And this would be true also of the fathers. And our text this morning is going to be 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 
1 through 7. So take your Bible out. Let's find 1 Peter. It comes right before 2 Peter. So if you get stuck, if you hit 2 Peter, go back to the left, okay? Here's the first mark. Being a servant is more important than being a boss. You see, these days, nobody wants to be a servant. Everybody wants to be served. Everybody wants to be a boss. Everybody wants to be the center of attention. Everybody wants to be the star of every stage. Everybody wants the spotlight on them. In fact, I got this wrong. You know, there was an expression, I don't know if it's still used, it was used five or ten years ago, called throwing shade. Do they still use that expression? He's throwing shade on them. And I got that all backwards because for me, shade is a good thing, right? Who doesn't want to be in the shade? I don't want to be out in the sun. So one day at staff meeting, I'm talking about somebody and I compliment them and I say, I want to throw some shade on so-and-so. He's doing a great job. And the staff looked at me and went, Pastor, you've got that like all backward. And I'm like, what? Why? And they said, shade is a bad thing. I said, why is shade a bad thing? Shade should be a good thing. They said, no, 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 everybody wants to be in the spotlight, and when you get between them and the spotlight, you're throwing shade on them. You're taking them out of the spotlight. That's the way our world works. Everybody wants to be boss. Jesus had it completely the other way around. He said, whoever would be greatest among you, let him be least and servant of all. The first will be what? Last. And that's really the essence of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and following. And really, this whole section is about living the life of a servant. If you back up to chapter 2, verse 13, you see, he says, submit yourselves to every human institution. So the whole focus of this passage is on submission. Verse 18, he says, servants, be submissive to your masters. And he goes on to say, not just the good ones. You folks working at a job and you've got a crummy boss. It's not just the good ones that we submit to. He said, because God honors that. Go back and read it. Well, in chapter 3, verse 1, he continues the idea. And this time he shows how it applies to the women. In 3, verse 1, it says, in the same way. You see that? In the same way that we are called to submit to all authority, that we're called to be in submission to uh, our bosses, it says, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Now look, let me say this. Submission does not mean being subservient or inferior. The word had to do with a mindset. The word that was used there is hupatasso. It's two words. Hupa means under, and tasso was a word that had to do with to draw up in order or to arrange. It was a military term to arrange your troops. And what he's saying is we arrange ourselves, we position ourselves underneath. It's not so much an inferiority thing as it is a mindset. And let me say this. Submission is a conscious decision to position yourself as a servant. But let's be clear on this. This is not just for women. I get so tired. Every time you talk about submission, they only want to talk about women and as if it were only for women. Now listen, submission is the intentional mindset of humility, and every single one of us is called to submission. Look over at Philippians chapter 2. He doesn't use the word submission, but he delineates the concept. In verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Well, that's opposite of our time, isn't it? Do nothing 
from selfishness or empty conceit, but here's the definition of submission. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. That's submission. And that's for everyone. Look over at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, and be subject to one another. And that word be subject is the exact same word that Peter uses that's translated submission. Be subject, be in submission, hupatasso. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And notice this time, it's to everyone. We're all called to a position uh, ourselves as servants of each other. Now, what, what's weird about Ephesians 5.21, and this is really where the problem starts, is that verse uh, is at the very bottom of the preceding paragraph. And I don't know why the translators did this. You know, in the original Greek, there were no paragraphs. There were no sentence structures, any of that. The, the Greek itself doesn't need that the way English does. So when they bring it out of the Greek into the English, they have to artificially create paragraphs. And for some reason, the translators, and they didn't ask me on this, and they didn't, I didn't, I've never read an explanation. They put Ephesians 5.21, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, at the very bottom of a preceding paragraph. I'm like, why did, why did you do that? Because uh, the, the last line of a paragraph typically will summarize what's been said in the paragraph. This is not a summation of what he had been talking about. This is a heading at the top of the next subject. And I think the NIV got it right because they separated that out, if you look at that carefully. But it's, it's the beginning of a new, whole new subject that he's going to deal with, beginning in 521, going all the way down through 6-9 in the book of Ephesians. And I know you're having trouble tracking with me here, but the point is, if you put be subject to one another in the fear of Christ as the end of a paragraph, that means you're going to start the next paragraph with Ephesians 5.22. And here's what Ephesians 5.22 says, wives, be subject to your husbands, be submissive to your husbands uh, as to the Lord. That's 5.22. And uh, that means that the only people being submissive are who? The women, the wives. And that's the way a lot of people deal with it. Let me, let, me, let me clue you in on a little secret here. That word, be subject to your husbands, that word, be subject, that you see translated there, is not in that verse. In fact, if you read it in the New American Standard, you'll see that it's in italics. That means they supplied the verb. See, there's a little thing about Greek. It doesn't need a verb in order to be a complete sentence because it can borrow the verb from the preceding sentence as long as it's all germane to the same idea. So that's exactly what happens here. In 521, he says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then in 522, it says, wives to your husbands as to the Lord. It doesn't say be subject. They borrow the verb to make sense in the English, which means what? You can't separate 521 from 522. Be subject to one another. That's everybody. Wives to your husbands as to the Lord. That's how women specifically find their submission. But if you skip down, you'll see in verse uh, 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 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here's how men submit. They, they submit by loving their wives the way Christ loved the church. How much did Jesus love the church? He loved the church enough to die for the church. People say, well, 
it doesn't use the word submit with the men. Let me, it doesn't use the word submit for the women either. 521 is the subject of everything that follows. Women to your husbands as to the Lord. Men to your wives as Christ loved the church who died. In fact, I would say from that that the man's calling to submission is even greater than the women's because we're called to die. Uh, But it's all about humility. And this is the key to healthy marriages. You don't fight for your rights. You yield your rights in order to meet the needs of your mate. Now let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 3. You saw in verse 1, it says, Wives, submit to your, be subject to your husbands, submit to your husbands. You got that? But look at verse 7, 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way. You got it? It said uh, in verse 13, submit to every human authority. Verse 18, servants, submit to your bosses. In the same way, wives, submit to your to your husbands, in the same way, here we go. Men, look at this, live with your wives. And you know what that means? That means be present. Stop checking out. Stop wanting only what you want. Quit leaving the hard part of child rearing to your wife. Live with your wife, and look at this, in an understanding way. That means to share knowledge. You seek to understand who she is. You seek to... to to understand where your wife's coming from. You make a study of your wife. You see what's vital to her, what her needs are. You know her needs, and then you invest in serving her needs. You honor her. You attend to her. You invest in her. You care for her. You subordinate your wants for her needs. Man, you do that, and she's going to come alive because that's what every woman wants. Every woman wants to be known And she wants her husband to know who she is and to care for her and to subordinate his junk for her stuff. Wayne Whiteside sent me this. It was so good. He said, ladies, if he asks you how your day is going every day, supplies you with all your needs, wants God to be central part of your relationship, prays for you when you walk away, he's not your man. He's a Chick-fil-A worker. Stop holding up the line. (laughs) There's truth in that, isn't there? Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now look at what he says. As with someone weaker since she's a woman. Man, I can feel the hairs on the back of your neck stand up on that one. As with someone weaker. And I get it. Women are tougher than men. And Amy's way tougher than me. She gave birth to... To four human beings, three of those naturally with no epidural. Epidurals were $500. I didn't have $500. (laughs) So the last one, we finally had $500. She got an epidural. And it was so easy on me. If I could have found $500, I should have bought them. (laughs) (laughs) She's tough, man. She gets the flu. She keeps going. I get the sniffles. I'm in bed three days. That's just how this thing works. But physically, I got her by 100 pounds. There's no way she can handle me physically. It's impossible. She's no match. And most women are not a physical match for the men. They're weaker. 
We used to understand this. We, everybody used to know this intuitively, that men are stronger than women, and therefore, you know, we need to be careful with how we... Until Hollywood begins to depict in every situation this 100-pound beauty queen who seems to know kung fu, who can beat up every brute of a bad guy because she knows all the right moves and she can do all that stuff, right? And I don't know, maybe we've seen it so many times. It used to be that the prince would slay the dragon, storm the castle, rescue the princess. Now, in every movie you watch, every depiction, the guy that's trying to rescue the princess gets himself in trouble and she winds up having to rescue both of them. That's Hollywood. And from that, we've gained this idea that, well, women don't need men. Women are very powerful when in reality, the world doesn't work that way. In the real world, men are far stronger and, listen to me, far more dangerous than women. That's why we used to protect women. That's why we don't let men and women compete in athletics against each other. That's why you don't let a man compete against women in swimming or any other sport that requires physical strength because he's more powerful. And since a man is more physically powerful than a woman, he can dominate her through his physicality. If she doesn't do what he wants, he has the power to force her to do what he wants. And that's happening in far too many relations. That's the, that's the nature of the world. You move outside of the Judeo-Christian ethic and you see that kind of brutality. I've told y'all this before. We were in Africa teaching the African pastors the book of Ephesians. And we come to Ephesians 5, 21, 22, 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You submit to her. You take care of her. One of the, one of the pastors in Mwanza, Tanzania, raises his hand and he says, does this mean that I can no longer beat my wife? And we're like, no, stop beating your wife. And he says, in all honesty, well, then how do I make her do what I want? That's the way the world is. The physicality of the male is such that if he wants to, he can enforce his will. And that's happening far too often even here in America. Did you know that one out of four women are sexually assaulted from the time they are little girls to the time they're mature women? And I'll say this, in my experience, the people I've talked to and the stories that I've heard, I think that's being generous. I think it's more like one in three or one in two. One out of every three women in America suffers domestic violence. One out of three. You say, well, that's third world stuff. No, it's not. That's world stuff. And what he's saying in this is that our calling to submission is as much a man thing as it is a woman thing. The world might live like that, but we don't. Men, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, you don't use your physical ability to force them to do what you want. Finish the verse. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. In, in other words, it's all about humility. The battle is not to get my rights. The battle is to yield my rights, to limit my rights to stop wanting my way and say, how can I help you get your way? Others first. And that's not just a female thing, that's a male-female thing. But let me say this, women, when you've got a husband that's dying for you, it's way easier to submit to him, isn't it? And men, maybe that's part of the problem. 
Our calling is to submit to one another. But here's the thing we want to impress on our children. Being a servant is way more important than being boss. And man, we live in a world that says the exact opposite of that. The emphasis is never who is boss. The challenge is to see who can be the biggest servant. That's the first impression. Second impression, your insides are more important than your outside. Verse 3, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dress. Now notice he says merely external. Let's don't take this and run with it and go to sea. It's okay to cut your hair. It's okay to fix your hair. It's okay to wear, wear makeup and jewelry. He said, he said, don't let that be the only thing. Don't let it be merely that. Man, there's so much pressure on women to maintain their appearance. And social media just makes this so much worse. And as a result, women are really struggling with self-image and self-esteem. And this is particularly acute among the young girls. They are, they're doing studies now. The more time a girl spends on social media, the more self-hatred she seems to experience. I call it the Kardashian disaster. You feel as if the world compares you with this certain body type that is both unrealistic and gem-driven and hopelessly one-dimensional. And so some women respond to this by becoming obsessed with appearance and they just start working out relentlessly. I see this among some of the women. Um, forever we talked about absentee fathers and neglectful or abusive dads, but more and more the neglect and abuse comes from the mother because the woman has become so focused on her appearance that she, all she wants to do is perfect her appearance, so she's constantly working out. Look, I get it, right? Fitness is a witness. I get it. Uh, we need to stay fit. We need to... We need to take care with our appearance. I, I, I got that, you know. Uh, some of us could probably stand a little more temple maintenance, you know. Your, your body's a temple. I need to <laughs> do a little more temple maintenance, you know. Although I think we've got it wrong, you know, because we emphasize flat bellies so much in men. I had a friend one time say, we need to change this and flat bellies need, I mean, round bellies need to be a sign of esteem and flat bellies need to be a sign of immaturity. He said, who's got flat bellies? Teenagers. Who's got round bellies? Corporate executives. I said, good point. I'm all for it. Spent a lifetime developing this round belly. Spent a fortune on it. Don't spend so much time on your outside that your insides go bad. That's what he's talking about. You know, other women just grow to hate themselves and the way they look so that sometimes it makes them hate their whole life too because they form their sense of worth and value on the opinions of other people. Look, your kids need to see that the inside is way more important than the outside. Look at verse 4. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. It starts with a relationship. Have a relationship with God through faith. You don't earn His approval through your performance. You don't earn His approval through your appearance. That's how you earn the world's approval. But with God, it says this, anyone would come to me, let him come to me by faith. The just shall live by faith. By grace, you are saved through faith. Women, the greatest gift that you can give your children is an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the greatest gift you can give yourself. 
Because you no longer have to be evaluated by the extraneous things of this world. You're evaluated on the basis of your relationship with Christ. And he says, any man who is in Christ is a new creature. The old has passed away. All things are made new. My sins are forgiven. My past is forgotten. My eternity is secure. Starts with that. That's what happens on the inside, the inner quality of the heart. And so you have a relationship with God through faith. And then you live your life in trust because of faith. And that's what your kids need to catch you doing. They need to catch you trusting Jesus and saying, you know what? What's going on inside is way more important than what's showing on the outside. And every day I'm conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Every day I seek to walk before Him in greater humility and service and in more personal holiness. Last impression, worship is more important than worry. Verse 5, for in this way, in former times, the holy women also, now look at this. I put it in all caps so you'd see it. You can underline Who hoped in God. The holy women who hoped in God. They didn't hope in themselves. They didn't hope in the opinions of others. They hoped in God. They used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. But notice they hoped in God, and that hope in God gave them a peace in God. They were fearless. Look at verse 6. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right. Now watch this. Without being frightened by any fear. There's something here we need to hear. Moms today are so fearful. And I'll talk with mom. You know what their fear is? Somebody's going to take their children. My mom did not have that fear. In fact, that seemed to be a hope. <laughs> my, brother, my brother owned a tennis center, kind of like the Mac, and he had a sign up, uh, unattended children will be sold as slaves. And there were unattended children everywhere. I'm assuming the parents were hopeful that their kids would be sold as slaves. Our parents today fear everything. We talked about that. And, and there's a worry to that. Let me just say this. God doesn't want you to worry. I've said this many times. I'm going to say it again. Worry is assuming responsibility God never intended for you to have. If you're worrying about something, then you're worrying about something that doesn't belong to you. That's God's responsibility. Worry takes away from your life. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 27, and He's speaking almost an understatement. He said, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And uh, uh, the New American Standard, that's New Living, New American Standard says, can you by being anxious add a single cubit, and that's an instrument of measure, can you add a single cubit to your lifespan? Does worry in any way enhance your life? Does it make life longer? The actual truth is it takes away from life. It makes life shorter. Um, the researchers say that stress can even make our DNA appear older. Stress, the response to threat, is designed to equip us to live longer and yet be anxious. Doesn't lengthen our lives at all. It ages us. You want to look old and worry. But here's something that I'd never thought of. Worry is actually not trusting God. I didn't get this. Timothy Keller brought this out in, and, and in something that he, he said, but I didn't get it because it, 
You don't realize that it's about trusting God. Keller said this, naturally, if you love people, you're going to worry about them. But do you know where constant worry comes from? It's rooted in an arrogance. That's what I, I, I couldn't get. It's rooted in arrogance because worry seems to be this uh, that stemming from anxiety that pours from the idea that I, I'm not enough. But in fact, he says it's an arrogance because it's a lack of trust. Look at what he says. And that assumes I know the way my life has to go and God's not getting it right. Real humility means to relax. Real humility means to laugh at yourself. Real humility means to be self-critical. Um, I never thought about that, but we hold on to worry because we don't trust God. And I thought about that. Women, do you ever worry when your husband's driving the car? Do you ever feel anxious, especially when he's in Houston or Dallas and he's mad? You ever feel anxious? Men, do you ever feel anxious when your wife is driving? Don't answer. It's Mother's Day. Why do we feel anxious? Because at our core, we don't really trust them. Right? All of a sudden, I realized that my worry is the same way with God. Notice that the women of God hoped in God and they did not fear. They worshiped more than they worried. In fact, I would say that you can't do both. Ruth Graham said, worship and worry cannot exist in the same heart. It's the opposite of faith. Here's what faith does. Faith worships, fear worries. Can I ask, do your children see worship or, or do they see worry in you? Psalm 90 verse 16, let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. When we worship, our children see His majesty. When we worry, our children feel His absence. Little moms, I love you, and I thank you for the tireless, relentless, thankless job of mothering that you do to rear the next generation. There's nothing more important. But my, my word for you today would be, remember your calling. You're not just trying to get them fed into bed. You're not just trying to get them off to school. You're not just trying to keep them from, you know, being the only kid in school that nobody likes. You, I, I know those are all anxiety. Your calling is to impress on them the glory of God, the majesty of God. And when they see you living with faith, they see His majesty. But when they feel that fear in you, they're impressed by His absence. So let them see His presence. You've got a great job. Every mom leaves a mark. Every dad leaves a mark. Nobody leaves a mark like mama. Here are three impressions. Being a servant is better than being a boss. Your insides are more important than your outsides. And worship is more important than worry. Can you remember that? Take that with you. Make that the priority of your parenting. And you know what? Let me just say this. That's not only true for moms, true for dads, and it's not only true in family, it's true in every relationship. 
Everybody you're in contact with, you're marking. Leave an indelible impression of Jesus. Can we do that? Let's just pray and ask that to be done as we pray before the Lord right now. Heavenly Father, let our lives reflect the nature of Christ to such an extent that we leave this lasting impression, that we do not live according to the precepts of our generation, but that we live the authentic, transparent life of faith and that we serve. And Father, that we become people who, while we appreciate the the outside, we prioritize the inside. And what we look like is not nearly as important as who we are. So build in us that same character so that when the times are tense and the future is uncertain, we don't respond with worry. We respond with worship. And we thank you for that. And the power to do that, God bless these moms to leave this impression in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.